30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard In 1976, if you walked into the Mother Earth plant store on Melrose Avenue in Los Angeles and bought a fern, a begonia, or any other houseplant, you would have received a free copy of the album Plantasia that we're currently hearing in the background. Subtitled Warm Earth Music for Plants and the People Who Love Them, Plantasia was the work of early Moog synthesizer explorer Mort Garson who teamed up with the Mother Earth owners, Lynn and Joel Rapp, to create the world's first electronic music album intended to help plants grow. Now, how exactly the music would achieve this result was murky at best. Joel Rapp even wrote in the original liner notes, frankly, we do not know for sure that it will. However, we do know one thing, it couldn't possibly hurt. My guest today, Anne Louise Merrill, is an herbalist mystic trained in the southern United States and currently living in Berlin. Her practice explores our relationship with plants, for medicine and more, and how to combat climate change before it irreversibly destroys the complex web of life human beings too often forget they're a part of. Anne and I met while I was recently in Berlin acquiring a new set of wizard robes, and we sat down to record this delightful talk about how to talk to plants. Because even if you don't fully believe that you can, it couldn't possibly hurt. Hello, Anne. Hey, what's up? Welcome to Ritual Space. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. Absolutely. What's our magic word going to be? The word of the day is joy. Joy. Yeah. One, two, three. Joy. joy. Oh, joy. So happy to be here. Me too. I'm really excited about our topic today. We're going to learn how to talk to plants. Yes, we are. What can you tell us about plants and how you came to be a plant whisperer, I guess. I grew up um, somebody who talks to plants. I feel very fortunate about that. Um, when I was a little kid, I grew up out in the country, and I didn't start going to school until I was in kindergarten, mm-hmm. five or six. And um, my first educational experience was actually a forest school with a awesome environmentalist lady who used to... Um, Whenever there were community events, she used to dress up in a woodsy owl costume. Ooh. And yeah, it was really cool. I still, I'm wearing an owl shirt right now. <laughs> I love owls. The owls um, are not what they seem. Yeah, well. I'm going to think about that later instead of now, okay? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, so Mrs. Curtis, she was so great. Um, she taught me, the very first word I remember learning is habitat. Mm. I learned that from Mrs. Curtis. She taught me about how um, you know, this bird lives in this tree and eats this thing and how everything is all connected to each other. And so that was my first educational experience. And um, but I spent a lot of time 
pretty much by myself out in the yard and in the woods and everything. And my mom told me that um, even though there weren't other human people around, that I was never alone because you can always talk to the animals and the insects and the plants. And so I just did. And um, it wasn't something that... I had no context to tell me that there was anything weird about that. Mm-hmm. I just grew up with it. Right? Yeah. And spirits, of course, as well, right? Just, yeah, you're never alone. She always used to say that. So I just grew up with it. And um, I guess it's something that uh, I never thought of as weird or special until I ran into people who, who didn't. Thought it. Right, exactly, yeah. you know? Um, and then kind of over the years, I've um, learned more and more about it. Um, I when I went to I went to herb school in 2006 mm-hmm. and um, that's when I really I don't know quite how to say it it's like it dedicated my life to something mm-hmm. um, you, you, your path became a bit more defined and yeah. went in a specific direction exactly I decided Deeper this is who I forest. am like this is not yeah like this isn't a hobby I had um so our mutual friend who introduced us was mm-hmm. my dungeon master um in Dungeons and Dragons and I played an elven druid in that game yes and um I I, I played as a kid um but then I played uh, again as an adult with our mutual friend and I played this elven druid and after a year or two I was like why am I playing this yeah why am I not being this this is who I am being is just a deeper form of playing being is a deeper form of playing okay i like that yeah. all right cool yeah i think well i think that's like you know D I think is really special because you get to play at being different characters and then that can be very illuminating of like well this character likes this maybe i should do more of this it's yeah. a very like we should just have instead of like when kids are in high school, they should go to the guidance counselor and play D&D. And totally, they're like, yeah. I'm an accountant. I'm paying my bills and doing this. And like, they can learn, this. you know, is that a career that you want? Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's funny. My mom also is the one who gave me D&D in the first place because she read about it in the newspaper. Way to go, mom. I know, right? My yeah. mom's wicked cool. <laughs> so um, she read about it in the newspaper and I was I don't, 11 or 12. I was at that stage where girls are about to lose their personality. Mm-hmm. And she was she was worried about that. Like, how do I keep this this cool little girl being a human and not yeah. going into that weird thing? Still talking to trees and being her own little weird self. And just being, yeah. So, um so she got me D and D, and I didn't really have anybody to play it with. But but it was it was Connecticut you where people play it with are, the trees. Well, they don't really roll dice very well. That's true. They're good at a lot of things, but they're not very good at rolling yeah. dice. And so, um, <laughs> so fortunately, it was uh, it, it was Connecticut. People were, were cool, and, and they had a uh, a group at the library. I went every Saturday morning and played D and D. And, um, this is so funny. I grew up in Massachusetts. Did you? And my mom found in the local community center things, there was a D&D thing. And she's like, Devin would love this. And then I went and I played D&D with a group of, the, the DM was in his 40s. He was like a, a postman. And then everyone else was like late high school, like all seniors in high school. Oh, and wow. they'd been playing for like seven years. They'd had this really long campaign. And then I was the you sixth grader the that end. was just like, oh, <laughs> That's I'm awesome. I'm just thrown in, so yeah, I love the parallel. That's awesome. Um, and of course, I was a magic user mm-hmm. from the very beginning. Yeah. I don't think I I very rarely have played anything but a magic user in any kind of role playing game. Anyway, so um, 
where were we oh yeah, yeah yeah so i was uh being this elven druid and i just kind of realized like okay this is who i am i'm gonna go do this went to herb school um hmm yeah all right i was thinking earlier uh i wanted to make sure to somehow include this today because i think this is kind of a cool thing my herb teacher he considered himself to be part of a medical tradition in the united states it was called the american eclectic movement okay and i think that that word eclectic often gets used as if it means just random mm-hmm. and what the the greek word that it comes from actually means to choose and I think that that um, it's like not, not just in uh, medicine and herbalism, but in general in life, I think that that's kind of a, a lot of my perspective on things is that um, in, and around all the magic stuff too. I, I worked in a magic shop for a long time. I don't know if yeah. you know that. And um, so I get to meet people who were in, involved in all different kinds of uh, traditions mm-hmm. and practices. And, and I've participated in just so many different, you know, sweat lodge and yoga and, um, and so forth. And, chosen like this this bit and this bit and this bit you know mm-hmm. that kind of work for me so when it comes to talking to plants that's one of those things that i've kind of looked for in different um different aspects and different methods and and so forth and in so different kind of traditions key. looking for how, how do they talk yeah, to how plants do you do this you know yeah and how do you get method yeah because it's something that i kind of uh well, I guess, I mean, I don't know if you've studied a, f- a foreign language, but it's like the difference between how you learn your native language and how you learn a foreign language is just so different. Right? Mm-hmm. And so I kind of grew up with this, my, you know, my mom was like, you can talk to plants. And so I just did it. And I yeah. didn't really think about it. Casual Connecticut folk magic yeah, version chill, of it. You know? And so then my, uh, but, but then as I got more and more into herbalism and teaching herbalism and the herbal community in the United States and everything, it's like there's people who don't have this experience who didn't grow up with it and they want to know how to do it and then so how do you teach this thing mm-hmm. it's like teaching a foreign la- it's yeah. like teaching your native language as a foreign language to other people right so um because yeah. i think there's a, there's a barrier which is feeling silly and when you're yeah. a young kid that barrier is not that important to you like yeah, yeah, you know little kids suck at language they say baba when they mean dad and they they are just doing a terrible job totally embarrassing themselves but they don't care so they can get better and better pretty quickly whereas the person who's like oh no i'm gonna misconjugate something is really gonna struggle progressing with language because you're gonna have to you're gonna have to get silly and i think talking to plants is probably one of those hurdles that yeah probably you're gonna have to be a little bit silly the first time you want to chat with a fern i suppose that's true Mm -hmm. i suppose that's true i would say so another very important little thing that um also came from my mom um she had a book on the shelf that was called plants are people too oh awesome and i've never actually read it but i just grew up in a house where i read that sentence over and over <laughs> mm-hmm. again right like yeah those I, artifacts and messages <laughs> as a kid that just stick with you yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a walk by was at eye level for a kid and it was like, probably one of the first sentences i learned to read because mm-hmm. was, i was seeing it all the time so i just grew up with this idea in my head plants are people too I yeah. just kind of take that for granted, you know, and because because when you said conversation with a fern, I, I was like, what ferns have I talked to? Yeah. Because plants are people, too. And I find like I haven't talked to every single person. Mm-hmm. Right. And like some people I really enjoy talking to. Some people I don't have that much to say, you know, and, and so, you want to treat them as individuals. You're not like, oh, I've talked to a Chinese person. Therefore, <laughs> I've covered oh, I, that. I think there's something bit different about i think that's something that's really different between um humans and plants is that oh, interesting. i really do think that there's more of a 
the fern can speak for the ferns you know yeah more so than the yeah. but on the other hand i mean humans can speak for humans to other species more in a way too maybe i don't know yeah i'm just kind of thinking this through as i say it well it's hard too because i think we have a very individualized idea of human beings and plants are so part of a network exactly and, yes you know, this tree is connected through its root structure to Absolutely. all the other trees so it, uh, I think humans are connected in the same way, but through language and ideas and mythology. Yeah. But I think we have this illusion. Yeah, I'm a of cell in a body. What's that? Yeah. It's just me, just solo, just running around. <laughs> I'm gonna pull myself up by the bootstraps. I don't need any help no, from anybody. I really feel like I'm a cell in a body. I'm a yeah. cell in a much larger mm-hmm. organism. Yeah. Can I tell you about a really funny um, a conversation I had with a plant once? Because I would love that. This one. I would love nothing more than that. This one was kind of, it stands out because um, it was really exceptional for me. Um, so, you know how sometimes um, people will call, um, they'll call a plant or an animal like a, some other version of another plant or animal. Like those, like I love that term for raccoons, washing bear, mm, that they, mm-hmm. you know, um, that kind of thing where it's like you're using, um, defining something else as a, as a way of talking about I'm trying to think of a good example for some reason I'm blanking on it. Um, every, every continent has a tree that they call cedar. They're not yeah. scientifically related at all. They're completely different. Uh. Um, families of trees but yeah. because cedar is a word for a tree in the person's language they call mm-hmm. it a cedar that that kind of thing right so a little bit like not all tissues are kleenex but we just say kleenex to mean yeah, yeah. or or we might say like um i don't know i guess you could call like a um a a, a done or a middle eastern burrito or right. something like that yeah. like you're using this other thing to define mm-hmm. something right and so um this was this desert bush and i think it was a um what do you call it related to goji berry um it was in the, it was definitely a nightshade anyway um i'm sitting there and i'm like really i'm doing all my techniques to to try to like you know, it's like it's like you're trying to chat someone mm-hmm. up, right? Like, how am I going to start a conversation with this stranger, you know? And finally, the plant, like, saw me and was like, oh, you're one of those giant annoying mice. <laughs> <laughs> so like, yeah. yeah. I get that. Yeah. Okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah. So that, that brings up a very interesting point, which I was going to ask. Is yeah, yeah. I think people might understand the mechanic of talking to plants, but then how does the listening occur for you? Okay, so um, I could tell you what made it start to make sense for me is a book by Stephen, I hope I'm saying this name correctly, Stephen Herod Buner. Okay. Um, and the book book is called oh is this like the sacred secret language of plants maybe or the i think it's called the secret language of plants and um and the the cover has like a heart-shaped leaf on it Mm -hmm. and what it's really about is heart communication i don't know how much do you know very much about this stuff Mm -mm. about heart communication stuff open my heart let me let me listen yeah yeah so um, all right, so this book is really, it's kind of a cool book. It has two parts um, that are called systole and diastole, the two mm-hmm. phases of the heartbeat, the love and the dub. And um, so one is written in this very mythopoetic 
style and the other is written in a very scientific hard facts oh, I style love i love it too because that's where i used to on my um all my social media and website and everything i used to I used to use this little tagline i um herbalism on the corner of science and magic yes because i really like that intersection you know i think it's good to be intersectional with these things rather yeah. than i'm so tired of the books where they start they're like science wants you to think this and i'm like science is a big complex group of di- people in disagreement it's not and uh, sometimes it's a method yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so, so you got the love and the dub but when it comes to this stuff it was the sciencey side of that book that really helped me start to understand it more um so the way I, I think of this is like, so when a radio signal is sent and received, that it's sent on that frequency, whatever, like, you know, 95.9 mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's the variation from that sine wave that that is the signal. Ah, okay. Right? Yeah. So it's like, so, so the, um, the transmitter adds that mm-hmm. sine wave to it and then the receiver subtracts that. And that's yeah. how you're able to use the the wave to send a mm-hmm. message and um i mean he's he's not alone he's he's uh, talking on about other people's research in this book but that that's the idea of how messages are sent and transmitted th- through the heart um that it's actually very it's a really serious sign of ill health when somebody's heartbeat is completely regular Mm. the heartbeat is always varying mm-hmm. you know and so um and i'm sure you know like most cultures throughout time and space have all believed that the heart is the main uh organ of uh perception and communication yeah. right? the brain right. was just some weird goo that filled your head right and um and he talks in this book like you, you can um at this point with current technology you can pick up on people's heartbeat from like 20 25 feet away but in order to pick up people's brain waves you have to get like within a foot of their oh, head wow. right so it's actually a much more it projects much yeah. farther and with the and I mean, it, I don't know. I, get, I go through these uh, different phases where I'm doing different kinds of research and experiments and practices. But so I went through a heart meditation phase where I got pretty good at this stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and with, uh, I guess I started with just trying to be aware of my heartbeat, which I found especially easy to do in a bath. Mm. Um, I don't know. Somehow that felt like it, like it, like you're in this resonance chamber or something. Yeah, yeah. When you're Especially in the bath. if you get a little bit under the water and you can kind of hear it in your ears, the, exactly. the heart beating. I tried to. I just tried to work on being able to notice it, mm-hmm. and then um, I I really worked on um, being able to like just thinking of my heartbeat or thinking of my heart as this receptacle of messages and just trying to receive and um once i had gotten better at that then i worked a little bit more on the um um sending of of, um i can't believe i'm forgetting this uh this word Uh, what do you call that when you align with somebody resonance resonance uh, frequency vibration that's hilarious that i can't remember that attunement yeah I'm also a massage therapist. When I very first started a massage, I put my hands on the person and I, anyway, that, you know, that thing. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> get my heart, my heart's get, hearing it. Yeah. Get, yeah. Get in sync. And then once you've like gotten in, in sync with somebody, 
to be able to send the message. So um, that made me start to understand that. I don't know it, my uh, logical self that helps me sort of have a model for how to think about mm-hmm. how I communicate with with uh, other beings in a nonverbal way. Mm-hmm. So I think of it. Yeah. Yeah. That it's like it's like giving and sending radio messages and like I feel it from there from my heart. Um, I like that idea of like you're building the model with one part of your more logical side and then it's like you've built the bike and then your other part of it you can like get on and ride it around. That makes sense. That is pretty much how I um, I have two, I have two directions I want to go right now. I'll tell you two different things. Okay. Okay. First I'm going to tell you about one of the most amazing um, heart experiences I had it's not plant related but it was awesome mm-hmm. it was that have you been to the Brooklyn Museum of Art mm-hmm. it's an amazing place I love that place and there's so much to see and I was um uh you know walking around and it was the first time I'd ever gone to a museum trying to experience art through my heart and it was really fascinating because so much modern art and conceptual art is really painful to the heart and it makes it really clear that like these artists are using their brains and not their hearts for Mm -hmm. perceiving the world because you would not make this art if you perceived the world through your heart you know and then you look at some of the stuff that's from more aesthetic ages where it was more heart oriented Mm -hmm. and it's just uh, and it was the first time I it was a Tiffany window at the Brooklyn Museum it was the first time I actually heard my heart sing and I've got to find out what that really means you know yeah and it was just like yeah my heart was like you know so excited to see this and experience it and then um, I was looking around looking at all this stuff and experiencing art through my heart and that was great and then they started flashing the lights the museum's gonna close and I was like ah there's so much I want to see and so I just thought okay I'm just gonna feel it with my heart what's the one thing I have to see before I leave this place and it was just, I felt this pull, followed it, you know, I'm like going down these halls and I'm turning corners. I'm like, what the hell? How is this thing so strong? And I come around the corner and there she is. It's this little figurine. She's maybe like two inches tall, Sumerian goddess, heart forward. Oh, beautiful. And she's like thousands of years old mm-hmm. and she was just like, yeah, And I love it. how that connection took so long to happen. Like of all the Sumerian art that was made, that got buried, and then of all the things that were being dug up, that's the one that ended up at the Brooklyn Museum, and it was there, and it was waiting, and then finally, the signal is matched. And uh, yeah, and it's like, and I think, yeah, and and so, somehow she's glad to have somebody around who's like, yeah, I want to communicate with you through the heart instead mm-hmm. of just look at you and be like, what year was it made? Right. Yeah, that was cool. That was really cool. Um other thing I wanted to so all right so I was really really glad that you asked me if I wanted to do this because I felt like there's some like change happening in me as regards all this magic and spirituality stuff but I haven't really like thought about it or talked to anybody about it or like or done much work to excavate it welcome to that moment thank you thank you so much for providing it and um I traveled all the way to be here just so we could (laughs) be here thank you um the thing about um what you said about the the logic mind and uh making the bike for everything else to ride on um i think part of the struggle i've had with a lot of magic stuff but then also a lot of other aspects of the world as well 
is this thing of the communicate of uh, the um, confusing the map for the territory mm-hmm. problem mm-hmm. and this thing of people uh, know the word reifying I love that mm-hmm. word making a thing out of things and um, getting so attached to I guess that was be- before we st- started recording this whole like on the seventh day of the blah 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 and the la la oh yeah the, 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 the complicated like, magic where and, it, and, and you're doing the recipe because you found the recipe exactly. without that focus on like you know I think with cooking if you found an ancient recipe from some culture you would be immediately being thinking all right does this make the bread that I want to eat I'm going to tweak it and adjust it yep. but because magic I think is always so uncertain of like what is the result that we're actually supposed to be getting yep. and am I imagining it yep. or is it real or yep. is that a, a nonsense distinction that I'm trying to make there yep. and so I think we do end up with a lot of people that are just doing the recipe because that's the recipe that they found and they heard and they're just gonna kind of go through the motions of it yep and um and there's a lot of that in science as well yes it's all areas of life and it's it's ideologies in in politics as well this thing of getting so attached to like to me all these um all these theories are frameworks for helping you think but the goal is to think the yes. goal is not to to get all caught up in the framework absolutely i mean i don't, I don't want to go too far down this road but okay. i've seen this with mental health a lot is that we've come a long way and we have a lot of different ways that we think about mental health but just because there's a contemporary one that doesn't mean that that's the absolutely universal truth like there's mm-hmm. a lot of problems with the idea of the chemical imbalance model yeah. which doesn't mean that somebody isn't you know struggling with that and doesn't mean that there isn't value in medication but that is a map yeah. not a territory exactly and the wellness that you're moving towards is the important thing and getting stuck on trying to just have the label of this is what's wrong, I think can be limiting sometimes. And yeah, I love territory. I love terroir. I love the earth. Mm -hmm. I like the physical, Mm -hmm. like my, um, I like herbs and, and massage and these very tangible things, Mm -hmm. you know, I like things you can touch and, uh, I, there's this, there's another there's a phrase I think I got it from Rupert Sheldrake but I'm not sure where he said um, he was he's all right so he, he was talking about when when we, people use like a mechanical or um, com- computer kind of um, metaphor for talking about humans mm-hmm. and he's and and I, I believe this completely the problem isn't in using that metaphor the problem is is this um, is thinking it's and nothing but yes. Right, and so if you if you remove the and nothing but, and um, yeah, then it gets complicated. Yeah, it's so funny with like Freud. We had this very mechanical model where there's uh, pressure from your libidinal energies, and it's like you're describing a steam-powered machine. And then we've moved past that into this more software analogy. But I think we need to be open to the the next one that's coming and realize that we're all just seeing the world through the lens of our time. And, and those lenses are helpful. Yeah. I love lenses. Yeah. Lenses are great. But the place, have bifocals. The, the place where I'm doing training in, uh, in right now used to be a lens factory. Like, yes, I nice. love lenses. Those were, I think, one of the things that um, just kind of blew my mind open when I was six years old. I got a microscope for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And that when you see that how different the same thing looks when you look right. at it at 10 times magnification, 
out it makes you realize like the power of lenses and framing yeah. and and it's so fascinating because that's always there yeah it's always there exactly. it's just waiting for us to double click and zoom in so let's chat herbalism for yeah, a minute. Let's do it. And what is so? What is the practice of herbalism, and and how like you know is it constantly just taking herbs, or how do you practice yeah. that in the world? It's really okay. I think it it varies a lot. I think of it as being a lot like music or language or something. That there's really different ways of doing it in different places, and that like those other cultural forms that. It, um, this is where this word eclectic um, becomes really important to me. There's a difference between choosing and being random. Mm, mm-hmm. yeah? And so you can you can choose some loan words from a bunch of different languages and still be speaking a language with uh, grammar. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's different from just like mangling. And right. taking, yeah. So um, I, I say that to say that I th- herbalism means really different things in different contexts and different cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, so my personal practice of herbalism um, is, it's kind of funny because it's uh, changed a lot coming from the United States to coming here. Mm-hmm. Um, the States is, you know, it's kind of the Wild West in a lot of ways. I could pretty much do whatever I felt like and then tell the IRS I think I made this much money and mm-hmm. then that was it. That was pretty much all of my legal requirements there. Um and in the United States, there's a situation that I think of as medical poverty, where people are really desperate for uh, medical care. Mm-hmm. And so it put me in a very different context. Here in Germany, um, they, they never had the huge attack on herbalism that happened in the United States. Um, this is a, a pet peeve of mine. I'll hear a lot of people in the States talk about um They'll either use the uh, like modern society or Western society mm-hmm. when they're talking about the fact that there's this anti-herbs attitude in the mainstream. That's uniquely American, and it has a very specific historical origin. Is was this occurring with like the professionalization of medicine when they were really working hard to say this is what yeah. we approve of and everything else falls outside? Yeah, exactly. There let was the, a, there was a thing. It was a um, let the white men decide. We don't need midwives and all of these other yeah, that's exactly superstitions. This other doctor invented this thing that's going to be way more deadly. Yeah, what happened was in, in 1910, there was a um, congressional hearing, it was called um, the Flexner Report, mm-hmm. and it was um, up until that time, the, the United States at the turn of the last century was one of the most vibrant, amazing um, medical scenes that has ever happened in the world, I think. It was because yeah. pe- uh, there were people from all over the world living in the United States in the major cities, and there was this really vibrant exchange happening. Um, and there, the um, medical, the American Eclectics was a really big movement, and then there were also homeopaths, and there mm-hmm. were there were a number of different traditions that were all influencing each other, and um, and then the um, the I think they at the time they were usually called the regulars, who were these uh, the you know, osteopaths. No, these no. are the I'm talking about the East Coast people okay. who used a lot of poisons and surgery, mm. and they formed the American Medical Association. And so the United you know the United States has a really really weird system that doesn't exist in other countries where a private group decides who can and cannot be a doctor. Wow! Right, and yeah. the, and the government stands behind them on it. Yeah. Right, and this in other professions too. It also happens in engineering and dentistry and so forth. Most countries, like if the, if if you have the exclusive legal right to practice your profession in some way, you interact with the government in order mm-hmm. to 
get that right. Yeah. You know, but the United States has this weird system where you have these private groups. So anyway, the uh, American Medical Association wanted to have a monopoly on this decision of who is and is not a doctor. And exactly like you said, that's when they decided it was it could only be white men because mm-hmm. a lot of eclectics were um, Jewish or women mm-hmm. or you know other um, there were black other. eclectics other other yeah, yeah. Um, and midwives and so forth um, and had a lot of contact with uh, Native Americans and that's how a lot of indigenous American herbs got to be um, really prominent mm-hmm. in Western herbalism and I do mean Western like the, um, I don't know if you know this that like uh, one of the uh, foundations of uh, George Washington's wealth was shipping um, indigenous American herbs to Europe and um, these uh, herbs got um, to be really um, depended on in in uh, Europe yeah. as well right? because um, Appalachia is an incredibly rich area for herbs because um, Appalachia and um, the big mountain range in China when there was a um, massive um glaciation that mm-hmm. wiped most of the earth clean um th- those two areas were too high and so that's why there's these uh, really ancient um plants that have uh, such strong medicine that um some of the most famous herbs like the ginseng and golden seal and these right kinds of things oh how really, cool really ancient plants um I, well, okay, I guess here's the thing is a lot of um, my practice of herbalism is actually ecology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm really interested in these um, these plants as beings. And um, I'm less interested in the sort of phytotherapy mm-hmm. thing that's evolved. It's more about plant constituents and, you know, pills and using, um, you know. Your like, joints hurt, take this. Or, no, or, or also like um, like caffeine instead of coffee. Yeah. You know, of like uh-huh. breaking it down to constituents or thinking of, of like, you know, well, which protein are you going to have? Mm-hmm. It's like, do you mean which animal? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just seems weird to me to mm-hmm. like, I don't know. It's, I mean, to me, that's part of the practice of herbalism is it, it, they're, they're people. Interact with them as if they're people. Don't interact as, with them as if they're a pile of chemicals. Right. You know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and I guess, what does it mean? My... I'm going to bring it back to the word joy here. All right. So I spent about um, f- four or five years so completely obsessed with herbs and plants. This is after I went to herb school. It was like, it was everything. You said yeah. like, what well, you know, what does it mean? Does it mean drinking? Yeah. It meant, it meant everything I drank and everything I ate and everything I thought about and everything I read and everything I listened to and every, everything I did professionally. And I just had a point where I was like, oh, I need to like get out of my cave, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's when I got, I got really into dancing, which for me is the, the quickest path to joy. Yeah. <laughs> for me. I know it's not for everyone. That's so funny. You're the second <laughs> podcast guest that I've had recently that has talked about dancing as their liberatory technique. I was just boom, out, yeah. out of myself or yeah, I don't know how to explain that. I don't know. Yeah. It just puts me in another place very, very quickly and, and dependably. Yeah. <laughs> which is nice. Um, practice of it's been weird the um because i guess you know what does practicing herbalism mean like the obvious thing is it's about giving people advice mm-hmm. right and i have found that to be very challenging because um i mean a lot of the advice people need they don't want to hear oh that's very true and i've learned l- that as a wizard <laughs> 
and even I mean I've found you know people will get really complicated with all these details about what herbs people should take and all this all this different stuff what I found when I was actually like seeing clients as an herbalist in the states is I'd I'd ask people what do you think you should do Mm. and they would tell me this list I'm like yeah yeah, do that I should sleep more I should quit smoking I should stop eating so much junk food I'm like okay let's start there do that yeah let's see how you feel oh but you know don't you have an herb right I think people people one want permission to do the thing that they are already leaning towards. And then I think they also the obvious thing is the hard thing. Like of course, <laughs> you know, do that. But we want the shortcut. Right. Like I want to continue doing all my bad behavior, but then I want to take an herb that mitigates all of those things and then it yeah. just makes me better. And I think part of why a lot of times that would really rub me in the wrong way is because um, when you when you go through the whole process of, you know, whether you, you know, respectfully and in a sustainable way, wildcraft, you know, wild herbs, or if you grow them in your own garden, or you know, you get them from a farmer and then you make that into medicine, and then you you know you go through all the trouble to have all the you know, just all the bottles and the labels and you get all the training and you do all this stuff and then this person is sitting in front of you and they, they all that passion and work and spirit that you've put into something, instead of sleeping more, they want you to give them that. Yeah. And I just, like, it, like I, I want to be generous with you, but at the same time, like, you just feels really disrespectful and I think especially because um the way that the economy is right now if you live in the United States you can go in an herb shop and you can buy something for six dollars that um you know a couple hundred years ago you that that represented so much labor Mm -hmm. and just so much um value within your community that you would never ask somebody for that because you're just being lazy about doing the basics of taking care of yourself and i think there would have been a trust (laughs) where okay you know that there is this person who is the person in the community that can do that for you you have faith in them because you've grown up and everyone in the community is seeing that person and when you see them you're not just getting the herb but you're getting that expertise that is distilled by that person which i think we lose when we're either totally on that skeptical side where we're like oh like show me the proof that this you know I want to see clinical trials that this herb does what you say it does or the other where it's like I want to believe in herbs so badly that like I'm going to you could feed me grass and I'll tell you that it's getting rid of my gout because I just want it to like I'm just I think there's Um, grass for gout seems like a pretty good idea but okay (laughs) you heard it here first folks I'm just a natural. I'm just like, oh, let me throw a little pine needles. I'm like little kids making like potions, you know? Oh, I'm I used like, to do that. Yeah. yeah I'm like, always been a potioner. I'm like, drink. How much mud are you drinking? Have you? Because I've got a wizard mud pie ready to go. It'll cure anything that ails you. Mm. I mean, we're seeing this right now with CBD. Like, I don't know if that's happened oh, yeah. in Germany yet, but CBD is all over the United Somebody States. Somebody just gave me some for my birthday a couple of weeks ago. And it's like, it's totally been commercialized. It tastes like weed. It is weird. It's the, the funniest thing is that I, I was in a uh, convenience store in New York and they had a chocolate bar that was twenty five dollars mm-hmm. and it had CBD in mm-hmm. it. And I was like, if you had just a bag of CBD weed and tried to sell that to me for twenty five dollars in high school, I would be like, this weed is bunk. I don't so, want this. I mean, all right. So this gets into this really interesting thing of the um, miracle cures and secret cures, mm. and this is a. Um, I don't know. It's it's part of sort of pop mythology, and the thing is, I, 
All right. I'm going to break this to you. Yeah. There are no secret cures. Right. It's all out in the open. Mm -hmm. Everything's hiding in plain sight. Yep. It's 2019. It's, you know, and you see this all the time. Like if you actually, if you pay attention to this at all, you will see this on the covers of magazines and in health food stores all the time. Secret cure, miracle cure Mm -hmm. everywhere. And there's just no such thing. It's not how it works. The the real miracle cures are sleep Mm -hmm. and love Mm -hmm. and community. Water. Water's pretty good too. Yeah. Yeah. But I think you're right. Oh, let me tell, let me tell you a water cure. I just learned that absolutely blew my mind. Um, I used to struggle really seriously with depression and it's gotten easier and easier. I've gotten better and better at having my cures for it over time. Your secret cures. My my secret miracle cures. (laughs) And so, um, that you talk all about in your online workbook, right? (laughs) Available for $9.99. Click here for free ebook. Um, so, uh, my friend took me to um, this Kneipp Anlage. So Kneipp was a German uh, water cure guy. And they have these places around here that are uh, like water cure spots. And this place, it's so crazy. It's just a really cold creek. And it has a, um, like an ar- uh, what do you call it, an arm rail, handrail, where um, you can go down these steps and hold on to the handrail while you walk in this really cold creek. Yeah. And then walk b- back up little stairs. And then you can walk across the gravel and you could do some loops. And so you basically are getting like the stimulation on the bottom of your feet of gravel. The image really that I'm cold having water. in my head is like gravel. the people movers at the really? airport where you can just like go and stand and it just like moves you through the water and you go back around. <laughs> you got to motivate yourself. Yeah. You have to yeah. walk yourself. But it's hilarious. I mean, it's just a really cold creek. It's all right. it is, you know. It, it worked so well. It absolutely blew my mind. It, it was a miracle cure. I, yeah. was, I was depressed and she just took me there and I just, you know, walked in really cold water. She said, you know, three is a magic number. You got to do three rounds. Did three. Gone. Yeah. Completely lifted. Wow. It was incredible. And so then the next day, the depression came back a little bit, and I did it in the shower. I just did yeah. really cold, warm, mm-hmm. really cold, warm, really cold, warm. Takes like under five minutes. Mm-hmm. Gone. Yeah. Cold water is amazing. And, and here's another thing about um, this applies to herbalism, and it applies to all sort of slow medicine, like this, um, like just nursing, or like old fashioned taking care, is that um, you do it. Each dose is little. Yeah. Right? But you do it over and over and over and over again. You know? And so, I, yeah, I, I was so glad to learn that because now I know, like, if I just get in a low mood, I could just do, you know, three rounds of really cold shower and just, just for, like, 10 seconds each. It's no big deal. And it works. It works. And I think, I think you've hit on a really fascinating point with mood and depression and these sorts of things. And this is, you know not going to apply to everybody. There's a lot of situations that are really hard to get out of. Yeah, sure. But in general, I think that there's a seductive voice that I'll have in my head that's like, let's think our way out of this. If we uh-huh. if we dissect what's wrong, if we can lay everything bad on the table, that's the way to the cure. That's called ruminating. And it's ruminating, <laughs> and that's not the way to the cure, at least in my own experience. No. And instead, it's having those little tricks where I'm like, wait, 
And it doesn't. Ha- it, it should actually be something quite small because if it's something big, then that feels overwhelming. Right. And I'm not going to go do that. Right. But if it's like, oh, I'm feeling like crap. I haven't gotten out of bed. If I take five minutes to do this shower trick, right. that is something simple that I can then move on. And it's so much more likely to get me back onto that track yeah. than this other thinky, let me go look. I need to get to the 80th page on Google to find that secret cure, which is right. going to have right. the solutions and make everything miraculously better. Right. So right. speaking of small things that you can do to change your reality yeah. for the better, yeah. let's talk about what our spell's going to be. Um, I, I was thinking, all right, um, if this doesn't fit what you want to do, that's cool. We're co-creating it. So We're co-creating. I, part Here's, of the joy is that people get to listen to us ideate and shape it it doesn't need to just okay this is gonna be my my um my my typical intersection of science and magic thing okay beautiful so lay it on me all right so um do you you know what i mean when i say sympathetic nervous system and parasympathetic nervous system of course but for the listeners why don't you give a quick explanation all right so your autonomic nervous system which means the part that runs the automatic functions of your body like your your breathing and your heart and your digestion and a bunch of other stuff has two main settings uh, one of them is sympathetic and that's um, when you, th- you I'm sure everybody knows what it feels like to have an adrenaline rush that is when your sympathetic nervous system is extremely stimulated when your parasympathetic nervous system is extremely stimulated, you'll feel so out of it. You can barely talk. Mm. This happens um, during massages. I think it is extraordinarily unethical to ask somebody in the middle of this of a massage to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Because when you are really, really in parasympathetic dominant mode, you can't even talk, much less think very well. Right? So... Uh, one of the things that shifts is how your eyes work. When you're in sympathetic mode, you um, you focus on what's right in front of you and you, you target it on something and your vision's relatively clear. When you're in parasympathetic mode, your eyes go really soft and you, you see a much bigger picture. You don't see anything very clearly, but you see bigger. And so a really simple way to feel the difference in your body between sympathetic nervous system and parasympathetic nervous system is to uh, feel the difference between looking at something um, really focused and then trying to look to see the edges of your peripheral vision and let the middle drop out. And if you play with that and zoom in and spread out, zoom in and spread out, um, it you can feel it pretty distinctly in your body if you pay close attention. Um, in a way, if you have a hard time just doing that without uh, a cue, something you can do is reach your arms um, uh, really, really wide so that they're outside of your peripheral vision. Kind of back behind you a little bit. Back behind you. And then um, um, wiggle your fingers and bring them just so you can see your fingers wiggling at the edge of your peripheral vision and that'll kind of force you to bring your vision bring your eyes out to the edge of your peripheral vision and when and so to me this is the simplest way of getting yourself into the the frame where it's easy to hear the plants talking 
Because when you're in that sympathetic mode where you're very focused, it it's it's more difficult to receive. Mm-hmm. You're more focused on action in the world. You're more focused on what you're doing in the world. And if you want to start to hear the plants talking to you, it's good, it's good to learn to get into this parasympathetic mode and to be able to do it consciously. And if you do that, um, a really good exercise is if you go in a place where there are a lot of plants and it, you can use that trick with the, with the hands and wiggling your fingers to get your vision out into the periphery and then and just kind of try to leave your eyes like that and walk very slowly it's a good idea to you know first make sure it's a place where you feel comfortable walking for a little distance Mm -hmm. without um, having to look at the ground with that very um, focused vision and just and just walk and see if what you hear from your heart beautiful thank you Anne. you're welcome have fun i can i give shout outs to a couple plants yes i i gotta say hi to hawthorne hawthorne is the one that talks to me un the most like I'll just be walking by and it's like hey that's a Hawthorne to me and my hey Thorn <laughs> hey Thorn and then <laughs> it's a very chatty friendly plant in my experience and then the other one that has talked to me very very distinctly and only since moving here um uh is um hazel and um there's some some trees just a couple blocks from here that w- when I first saw these uh these ripe hazel nuts i i um not the not the thing around it i don't know what it's called botanically anyway they're pokey they're really weird looking i was like mm-hmm. what the hell is that because i'd never seen a hazel tree before i moved to berlin and and i was just this is the coolest plant and i started seeing it everywhere and i had an experience where i i approached a hazel tree and it just flat out said to me you belong where hazel grows what a lovely message and here i am there you go for more of Anne's work, visit annlouisemerrill.com. And to connect with the wizard magic of this podcast as a ritual, take a nice deep breath and appreciate the fact that you're doing it already. Wizardry works in mysterious ways, and I like to honor the strange and sublime connections it creates in my own life. The same night I interviewed Anne, I ended up in the Black Lodge, Berlin's very own Twin Peaks-themed bar, where I met some unusual characters and recorded a spontaneous late-night podcast. So if you'd like to tune into that bonus transmission, you can visit patreon.com slash thispodcastisaritual, become a participant, and check out what an After Dark Wizard podcast is really all about. Until next time, may you dream of a green tomorrow where we can all hear the plants sing.